Welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Trasilla from Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Peter Bagshaw, GP in Somerset and CCG uh, Clinical Lead for Mental Health. And we're delighted to ask as our guest to welcome as our guest today, Dr. Rani Bora, uh, who certainly I've worked with before and you've kindly joined us on the show before. So another friend and colleague. Welcome, Rani. Hi, so excited to be back here for the second time. Thank you so much. Well, the topic that we've got today is what is innate health? So I suppose we must ask the question, what is innate health? Uh, thank you. So how I would say it is I don't like giving a definition because I don't think, you know, I don't think there is a specific definition for innate health. I'll tell you what it means to me. All right. So, um, you know, when you think about well-being, people talk about all the things we need to do in order to be well. And so we need to eat well, we need to exercise, we need to sleep well, and we need to do stress management, we need to have a practice of yoga, something like that, which is all great. And, and what I point to innate health is that there's something that's already there, that's not, you know, that can't be shaken, that's not, that's not something we made up, but is it just is. So clearly I'm talking about spiritual well-being here so when i say innate health i'm already saying that you know people think that spirituality is this you know it's a kind of uh, is a kind of um i don't know belief system or some people are spiritual some people are not but i'm saying that there is a deeper intelligence to life we are part of that and the answers that we are seeking, the deep answers in life that we are seeking are not to be found out there in the materials or exploring the past or exploring, you know, our goals. I think all those are can be meaningful, but what I point people to is that there's something already there which is innate, which is just complete, and that's what I mean by innate health. That's really interesting. Wow. So we're quite deep into thoughts about spirituality already. But before we investigate that, just thinking about nature, thinking about seeds that grow into flowers or grow into trees or, or small animals that are born and then, then become, become grown up. All these organisms, all these uh, creatures have, have well-being written into them because they if you cut the bark of a tree, it heals. If you, if we cut our skin, it heals. If we break a bone, as long as it's immobilised, it heals. Is, is, are you saying that there's a sort of an intelligence behind that? There's a sort of a, a wisdom in nature, and of course we humans are part of nature, that, that actually maybe we overlook, particularly in medicine, and maybe we forget it. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, we think that we are separate to the nature we see outside, um, and everyone will say, yes, you know, nature reminds us of well-being. And we all know that the theme for the Mental Health Awareness Week is nature. And I know you're doing a talk yourself, Andrew, later on this afternoon about nature. So what I'm pointing to is that our true nature is similar to the nature outside. And, and um, you, you, you really pointed a touch on a point about um, the intelligence. And how I say it is uh, the term that I have used 
um, on a regular basis is the, that psychological immune system. You know, we know about our physical immune system. We know that when um, we have a cut uh, and we have a wound, and obviously, you know, it will heal with some support, obviously. Uh, but the thing is that we can't keep poking the, the wound in order to make it heal. We just need to allow it to heal. So, so also... Our cycle, you know, when when it comes to mental health distress and suffering and so on, is it possible that we are interfering too much with our experiences and we are trying to fix it? We are trying to say, I need to be positive, I can't be negative, and all that sort of um, you know contemplation going on and thoughts going on that might be escalating or worsening the problem. So there is something about what if we knew that we also had a psychological immune system. So in a way, if you think about a compass, the compass always you know points north. So the more we allow the system to settle down by itself rather than interfering with our experiences all the time and trying to resist the you know the pain or re- the emotional pain, I think what we'll find is at some point there comes a calm and that's, that's the, the psychological immune system doing its thing. And uh, as the resident skeptic on the panel, um, I see a lot of patients in distress, um, emotional distress, who say, who might say, well, this is all very well, but I, I feel that my emotional immune system has broken down. And, and I can't access these this inner strength that you talk about. How, how would you convince them that it's relevant to, to those people? Oh, I love it. I, I love having a skeptic on board. And and um, I, I want to remind you that I'm a psychiatrist, so I can, you, know, you can imagine that people come to me and with all kinds of suffering and experiences. And, and people say, look, I want to believe you or I want to see it, but I can't. And the thing is, that's that's something to acknowledge that, you know, just because you're saying that there is, you know, there is this intelligence behind life, not doesn't necessarily mean that we, you know, we can as a human being, we are, we can access it in, in 24 hours a day. Okay, so can, I can I, I can pose this question to both of you. Surely you're doing a well-being podcast and I teach people about well-being, but have there not been times when we have struggled with our emotions? We agree. Have there not been times when we feel angry, we feel upset, we feel hurt, we feel very anxious, and we don't even have a, a label of mental disorder? What I'm pointing to is the human condition. And part of the human condition is that we have this mind, and this mind has this illusionary power, and it will project all the thoughts that we have, and it will make it seem like the, the absolute reality. Yeah. So when people are having a, you know, going through a very difficult time, they are having panic attacks or they are having, you know, low mood, depression, you, you know, you name it. At that moment in time, it's like telling them to just get over it. We know people can't, you know, if someone, if I was to say I was feeling very anxious or upset and someone said, just chill, Rani, or, you know, just get over it. You know, I would just, you know, I would just get very reactive. <laughs> so, so here's the point. So when we are in a difficult situation, no matter how we got there, we are there. And the thing is that the, we can try our best to use the tools and techniques. And there's no, you know, I, I can't see why we, we can't and we should not look at to explore, you know, looking, looking to exploring the, you know, what, what can help us settle down. Maybe we just need to go for a walk or rest or eat better. But the thing is that 
if we understand the nature of human experiences, that they come and go, that's the whole design. You know, our human experiences are, are meant to be coming and going. But within all those dynamics, there's still something very, very constant. So, yes, sometimes people are not ready to listen because they can't listen. There's too much noise going on. You know, they are suffering in their, in, in, in their mind, they're suffering in their body. And, and so to tell, you know, the best we can do at that moment is to give them as much support and you know, compassion and care and so on. But once they're ready, I think the most important education is pointing people to that that doesn't come and go and that is constant. And that's what I mean by innate health. That's what um, Andrew was men mentioned when he talked about the intelligence behind life. That just is, you know, it doesn't come and go. It's just there. And I completely agree that uh, saying get over it or pull yourself together is probably about the most unhelpful thing anyone can say to somebody in distress, isn't it? Um, so what should we say instead if we see somebody suffering? How do we help them access this innate health? So let's, let's you know, I'll give a metaphor of a mother trying to console her child or a um, toddler who is having a temper tantrum, you know? It's like, you, you, we can tell the mother that read this chapter in the book and that will help you. But the mother only knows, you know, they could try all the parenting book, but at, at the end of the day, it's their own wisdom that will guide them. They might initially try to, you know, sort of be kind or, you know, threaten them or do this or do that. At the, at the end of the day, um, the more they are in the head, the mother is in the head. They, it will be very difficult to just, you know, um, just respond to the needs of the, the, the toddler at the time. But the more the, the mother quietens down, knowing that she just trusts the process and she's creating a safe space, at some point the toddler will come down. So what I'm trying to say here is that as a helper of any kind, be you know, be the doctor or a you know or a nurse or you know, anyone trying to help someone who's really going to distress is just be there, just be present. There's something very sacred about presence. There's something about that therapeutic space where we don't have any agenda. I'm not there to fix you. I'm not there to make you see my way. I'm not there to teach you about innate health. This is what I mean. There's no agenda, but there's only the space. And we do what makes sense in that space. You know, sometimes it might make space for uh, sense for us to just get quiet with the person. Sometimes it's just hold their, you know, hold their hand or offer them a cup of tea. There is no prescription. The more we are just, you know, just, just fall back and trust the process, what will happen is that, you know, we see our own well-being. And also it will, it will be very evident to us that the person then uses their common sense to say, actually, I know what to do next. Or actually, can you help me now? Because I think I really am needed in help. So there's something about trusting that the person has what I call innate wisdom. And that will show up if and when the space is allowed. And, you know, we are reminding people of their own wisdom, of their own, how I'd call it, uh, a, a knowing of some kind. So the challenge when meeting somebody who's distressed is to meet them where they are, maybe to soothe them, but to hold a still space so that they can self-regulate down to that point where they can start to 
uh, activate that innate wellness that then takes over and guides them forwards? I don't know about activating the place of innate wellness. Let me put it this way, that it's already there. It's always there. What might prevent them from accessing that is because they are too much in the noise or, you know, they are overwhelmed or very, very anxious. And I guess when someone listens, and this is something I would, uh, I wanted to come to anyway, you know, there's something we all know about the power of listening, you know, more than power of talking. We, we, we think we need to talk and we need to educate people, do this, do that. But most of the things are basic and very, very simple. In, 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 even like how do we help someone? We intuitively know that. So the more we just listen, and, I, and by the way, that you know, we have a podcast, uh, and you know about called Listening. I have a podcast called Listening into Wellbeing. Because there's something about listening, but not listening as in, oh, I have an agenda, I'm going to fix you, but listening in, into well-being. So even though the person is breaking down and you know, they're having a meltdown, they're very, very upset, and you, you feel for them, you're compassionate and doing anything that makes sense to you, but then you're also like get, getting more and more curious about you know, that part of them which is not broken, that doesn't need to be mended. And, and when you listen, I call that listening into well-being. When you listen for that, something will make sense. And it's like they also get the permission to speak from that space. Does it make sense? It does. So it's more getting in touch with and allowing that innate wellness to come to the surface rather than trying to activate it. And just, I'd love to come back to what you were just saying, but something that you said earlier, that the mind creates illusions uh, at times, I think. I just wanted to tease out that, that uh, that we assume that the world is as we see it and, and that's reality. Is, is that not true? Well, I guess you know, this is for people to discover for themselves. Who am I to say what is true and what's not true? You know, what's the absolute truth? I think we'll go, you know, that, that will be another like a whole day conversation or something like that. But what I would say is for people to experiment, to be their own, you know, be their own researcher, so to speak. Researchers, you know, check it out. Like we all know that we sometimes, you know, get very angry and we, it's like, you know, this is what exactly happened and how did this, how dare this person say this to me or how did they do this? And later on, when we get more information, we realize, that, oops, I was believing my thoughts. So there's something about uh, the mind. You know, we have a mind which is which is fascinating, and we, you know, and you can talk about thought. Then, isn't it? We all need this power to think, and we have this intellect. And of course, it is in a continuum. Some people are more, you know, have a higher IQ. Some people are not so fortunate. So that's always that. that all, also, there is a spectrum, so, so to speak. But the thing is that. Um, when it comes to gift, like what gifts do every human being possess, you know, or have? And these are the, you know, this is what the innate health is, by the way. You know, it, it comes from someone who um, gave the name of uh, the three principles, mind, thought, and consciousness. And he's not talking about your mind and my mind. He's not talking about the personal mind. He's not talking about just, oh, um, you know, the person's awareness or the person's thinking, what they are thinking. He's basically, you know, pointing to uh, spiritual gifts uh, or you can say universal spiritual gifts through which we um, perceive the world. And um, that's the gift we have. And 
Um, his name is Sidney Banks. And, um, you know, I don't use the term three principles anymore because people then say, but what are the three principles? And we go into this sort of um, cognitive like debate about, oh, this means that. All I say is like, why don't you explore about reality for yourself? And we all know that my reality is going to be very different. Uh, my personal reality is going to be quite different to someone else in my team or in my family. And, and uh, say with Peter and you, Andrew, so you might be having lots of thoughts at the moment, like the conversation you're having right now. And I'm saying some words without even preparing. So I'm just saying what occurs to me. But all of us, even right now, we are using this, this gift of, you know, of thought to express ourselves. And, and, you know, that thought is not necessarily thinking, but it's a, in a gift we have to navigate through life. And part of that is thinking. But something to consider is not to take all our thoughts very, you know, thoughts for granted or as if they are the absolute truth because we know they, are, they aren't. Thoughts are not reality. They seem they are. I completely agree. This um, is a, a day's topic. In fact, I spent three years uh, writing a book on the nature of reality, and I'm not sure I came to any uh, conclusions at the end of it. it I, I ended up more confused than when I started. Um, but I think you're saying that we should trust our thoughts and go on that journey. But of course, a lot of people, their thoughts push them in, into dark places, don't they? So how, how do we steer people back into thoughts of well-being? Well, thank you, Peter. Um, maybe maybe, maybe uh, I didn't express myself very well. I didn't say trust your thoughts. Actually, don't trust your thoughts. <laughs> because I think we, what we do is we, we trust our thoughts too much. We believe our thoughts too much. And I think um, we have learned so much as part of the conditioning that we assume that what we believe is reality. But belief is also thought. You know, and, and a lot of problem uh, occurs because my belief clashes with someone else's belief. And then, then we have this friction. So I guess it's not about trusting thought as in our thinking, but trusting that we have got a gift and innate ability to have a new thought anytime. So even though I might be in my in a darkest moment and I ha I'm having depressing thoughts, to know that they come and go. You know, th the whole nature of thought is they come and go. In the whole nature of any experience, be it thoughts or feelings, they do come and go. So trusting that process, you know, that you know, part of our experience is that they will come and go. So there's, there's this line, isn't it? This too will pass. Absolutely. You know, things cannot not, not pass if they are in this dynamic, you know, this, this world of form. So uh, things come and things go. We have celebration, then, you know, we look forward to an event and then they go. There is, there is birth and then soon at some point there will be death. So there are always these things that come and go, come and go. So this is why I said rather than trusting, uh, trusting your thoughts or believing your thoughts, uh, because they do come and go, they keep changing. Look at what's not changing. What's, look at what's beneath the surface. Look at what's constant. Some people might not like spirituality. They might just say presence. They might just say the present moment. Do you see what I mean? So anything that makes sense to you or someone might just say i don't know natural or simplicity whatever it is um it can be your choice of words but the words don't matter 
you know, it's, it's, it's about making, you know, looking at the ordinary. And I, I say to some people, spirituality is very ordinary and is found in the ordinary moments in, in life. Like right now, when we, I'm talking to you guys, I'm getting present and we are just having a conversation. And, 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 and could, we, could we just go back to the basics whenever we think we have got a major problem that we need to solve? And I think the answer is simpler than we think. That's really interesting, Rani. Just, just a thought. Um, we, we did a program recently on living with autism. Does, does this apply to everybody or are there some groups of people that it doesn't apply to? Well, that's a great question. This applies to everybody because, um, you know, we all are, the, you know, let, let me put it this way. In this world of form, there are differences. Like I said, some people have more IQ, some people have less IQ. Okay, some people are blessed with a fully functioning brain and they can express themselves, you know, the cognitively and the, and the memory is working great and, and so on and so forth. But we also know that there are some people like perhaps severe autism, severe learning difficulties, they, they might be, they won't be, they might not be able to articulate or they might not be able to function uh, compared to someone else who seems to have it all. So, but the thing is that what I'm pointing to when I say innate health, you know, obviously it's not in the form, it's not in the brain as such, it's not in the personal mind. So there is something beyond, beyond all this, which is part of, you know, which is part of human nature, you can say. I mean, this is why it's so hard to put a finger, isn't it? And say, oh, yes, you know, um, um, it doesn't apply to this, it applies to this. But think about it. Even people with autism, they are, they, they are alive, they're living. They have their ways of expressing themselves, which might not be what how we how we see society and how we think people should uh, react or respond. We we have a you know we have certain ideas about how people should be, and we know that people like say with, with severe autism, they might not fit into the description of how we should act or you know or or, or uh, respond. But they also they are also experiencing life in the moment. They are also having a thought come to them. And they're reacting because they don't have all those guards that, oh, I need to be this way or I need to use my cognitive ability to calm down. They don't have this. They're just fully expressing themselves, just like a toddler, for example, who have no idea that their mommy is getting embarrassed because they have the meltdown in the middle of the supermarket. And we've just been talking about severe autism in, in conjunction, perhaps, with learning difficulties in the youngster. But there are many of us who are adults who are actually living with autism and have the positive traits of that. And so that applies to us as well. And so I'm hearing two things from you, really. One is that the, 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 the weather that we're going through is not, not the blue sky above uh, and that, um, that perhaps we need to be aware that our mind creates thoughts, but not all of them are true, that we need to be able to observe them and to see what else is going on. So, so Andrew, that's um, interesting. Well, have I got that wrong? Well, I would say, you know, any, how do we know that our thought, you know, is true? We believe our thought is true and we believe that some positive thoughts are true, but I would say thought is not reality. We can't say thought is equal to reality. Thought is equal to perceived reality at any moment in time. I just want to put it there because, you know, when you say, you know, what is reality that like, like Peter said, we can go about and, you know, and, and get into this loophole because there's always this thing about personal reality, 
collective, collective reality and what is absolute reality. So, so that's a definitely very um, deeper level of conversation. But all I would say is that any thought, you know, it's okay because we can't not believe our thinking. We cannot not because we are human being. We are designed to believe our thinking. But once in a while, if we just catch ourselves and notice that all we have been doing is we have been really believing our thinking, and and that that insight can also allow us to slow down. Okay, and I think that's the most important thing for people to know that thought is not real, but it comes disguised as the absolute reality. And it's okay to believe thoughts, especially if we have got positive thoughts that we are really happy thoughts. It's okay to believe them, but not to put all the, you know, put all the money on the car, you know, on, on the table or something saying, this is what it is. We always need to, you know, take it with a pinch of salt and know that thoughts come and go. Thoughts keep changing. That's the nature of thought. But the best thing is, we have been given this gift of thought so that even if we are, you know, we think we are negative or we think, you know, things are going to be hopeless, it only takes one thought. We are only one thought away from happiness and we are one thought away from sadness. And I find this fascinating and it's, I don't know about you, Andrew, but for me, what you're saying, Rani, is conjuring up all sorts of images from the past uh, George Harrison, almost all things must pass, um, and his spirituality, um, strutting and fretting our hour upon the stage from Shakespeare and so on. But it, it's really difficult for people in distress to have this inner peace and to hold on to the, the concepts that you've been talking about. How could, again, I, I come back to how, how we help people in distress to connect with these ideas. Well, all I would say is that um, this is not a tool that people can use at the time when they need it most, but this can almost like be an education when people have settled down, okay? So say, for example, you can think of this as a preventative measure in a way, if you wanted, or psychoeducation. But I, I would tell you one thing, that any, you know, people might say, I have got a lot of tools in my toolkit. Okay, so I used to be one of those. I was always collecting tool, um, tools in my toolkit, like, you know, well-being tools that I was going to use. But one thing I noticed that when I needed it most, you know, at the, at the moment I needed it most, it seems like I just, I just don't remember or it doesn't work. So, and again, that's part of the human design. That's part of the experiences. Like, you know, um, our mind is so powerful. When we have a mind attack, it's very difficult to just say I'm going to be calm, but the more people look, keep looking this direction when they are not in that place, when they are already like contemplating it, what and they really see it at a deeper level that, you know, um, I do, you know, there's something deeper than me. I'm not broken. If they can see it at a very deep level, then they know that that's one of those things that they just can't, they can't just deal with and they need support at that moment. But I would say, when I say innate health, I also talk about innate resilience, the ability to bounce back from setbacks. Now, I know that a lot of people think that resilience is something comes from outside and we need to keep doing things in order to be resilient. From this paradigm I'm talking to you about today, the innate health, when I say innate health, that's also innate resilience. So there's something, and when you think about giving people hope, 
if they think there's always something external that's affecting them, they won't feel resilient. They won't feel hope. But for them to know that they have, as human beings, they have this spiritual gift of mind, thought, and consciousness or innate health, and they also have the ability to bounce back from any setbacks. It might not be instant. It might not protect them from harsh weather like, you know, crisis and upsets and so on. But still, that if they have this understanding, they, they know that they can keep trusting that quiet voice of inner wisdom and they can keep trusting that inner, inner voice says, you're okay. And it might be very quiet. Or it might be very just 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 a sense of this. They're still they're part of them. That's okay. That's going to help them bounce back. Maybe slowly, but surely. Maybe not instantly, because we are all looking for instant results. But the more they keep looking in this direction, they will see that it resonates with them at a deeper level. But they just and they always knew it, but they just didn't have the word to articulate or express it. Rani, that's so helpful. You've been talking to us about the psychological immune system and you've mentioned three principles and you mentioned that, uh, that somebody wrote about them and that man was called Sidney Banks and the book that he wrote, one of the books he wrote is called The Enlightened Gardener and there's just a lovely, lovely bit in it that I found there, which is, remember, only in the quiet chambers of your mind will you find real knowledge for it is here, with the assistance of universal mind, universal consciousness, and universal thought, those three principles that you were mentioning, Rani, that the incubation, that the, the gestation, that the, the birth takes place, and that the wisdom you seek is brought forth into this world of form. I didn't think we were going to go into philosophy, but we've gone quite deep <laughs> into philosophy and spirituality, haven't we? Well, and it can be very simple as well, and Andrew, and I know that a lot of people might not be ready for philosophy or spirituality, but then going back to Peter's point, like, but how can we help people now? You know, what does it mean in ordinary terms? Because I, you know, before I had my own aha moment um, looking in this direction, I was very skeptical but because I thought I know it every. every I knew it already. Oh, it's a bit like CBT. It's a bit like solution focus. It's a bit like this. It's a bit like that. It's a bit like meditation, isn't it, Rani? So all I say is this is not a practice as such. You don't practice innate health. You don't practice three principles. It's, it's just like having an understanding of the human mind, how our experiences are created and how everything seems so real and as if this is the only thing. And, and so the more we look into this, I will see that um, what we'll find is that our mind gets quiet without us even trying to get make it quiet, that we just get on with life, that we are more in the flow. And of course, we, you know, we have our challenges, they're still there and we still react from time to time. But life is a bit less, life is, has a little bit less friction, so to speak, um, if it makes sense. Thank you. We, we're nearly out of time. And that's brought us really to a point that you've been helping us understand innate wellness. And that perhaps some of the thoughts that we've, we've been talking about are that so much of our life is spent striving about knowing about and sometimes being in distress, whereas actually from a point of stillness, we can know rather than know about and then we can be present and in that presence we touch that innate 
wellness. And that allows us to, to move forward. And, and that's beautiful, um, uh, Andrew. All I would add is that maybe the space of presence always already there, even when someone is struggling and suffering. That, that's already there. But when our personal mind gets quiet because we forget about our worries or we're distracted by something, we too fall back into that space and we experience it from time to time. But the, the space in it held or how we, you know, however you talked about it is always already there. May I just, what you, uh, may I just um, say one last uh, sentence that might, that might just complete everything I've said because that's the core of where I point people to. Is it okay? Yeah. See, um, people think they're broken. People think they're damaged. People might have been told that again and again by you know someone else in their lives, and they might have come to believe it. This is what I say to people when I'm sharing from this understanding: is you know you may be lost, and you know you may be lost for a long time, but you know you are not damaged. And so, you know, you may be lost, but you're not broken. I think that's the core message. We all have innate health, no matter whether we have a mental health label or autism or, you know, whatever. And, and we might be lost. And some people might be lost for, you know, for a very long time, 50, 60 years of their life. That, that doesn't mean they don't have innate health. That doesn't mean they are broken. Because what I'm pointing to you know, spiritually, we can't be broken. We are part of nature, like you said, Andrew. Nature isn't broken. Nature just is. Thank you so much. What a fascinating episode that provokes lots of thought. And I love that last phrase, you may be lost, but you're not broken. And I'm sure we're all lost at times. Rani, thank you so much. Peter, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for that message of hope, Rani. <laughs> you are welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.